Hello, everyone. I'm Dominique. And I'm Christina. And we are the Connected in Glass podcast. Every week, we will feature interviews with glass artists who speak to their creative processes and overcoming challenges. These conversations are real and raw. We hope that by sharing these stories, you're able to find some connection and know that you're not alone. We just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. We're super passionate about this project and work for hours every week to bring you this content. So if you'd like to help support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash connected in glass. Also, please consider joining our Facebook group, Connected in Glass Community, where we continue the conversations from these episodes. We'd love to hear from you. This episode of Connected in Glass is sponsored by Diddy Clips. Diddy Clips has changed the way we film our glassblowing videos, and we're proud to be working with them. Today, we're interviewing Madeline Ryle Smith. She's a glass artist based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who's been working with glass since 2008. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're so excited to get to know you. Uh, first, I want to just tell us a little bit about where you live, what you enjoy besides glass, and kind of get us into the story of how you started working with glass. Sure. I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up and I lived most of my life. But I recently moved back from Rochester, New York. This summer, I was living there for the past three years, going to grad school and teaching. So I'm back in Philly now. And I got started in glass. I was really lucky. I started off in high school. I happened to go to a really small little artsy school that had glass blowing. And I took it kind of by accident as an elective. And I was like kind of scared at first of it. But then I fell in love with just the the material, how it glowed, how tactile it is, and how gooey. It it just reminded me so much of Play-Doh, something I always loved. So, you know, I I studied it a little bit in high school. I was pretty self-taught. My high school teacher did give me some lessons. And then I was like, okay, I guess I have to be an artist now. And then I, I went to, I applied to art school and studied glass in undergrad um, and grad school and just been loving it ever since. So for the people that haven't seen your style of work, can you give us like a verbal description of what your focus is? Sure. I do a lot of different things in glass, including stuff like interactive sculpture, musical instruments for multiple people to play at once. I do performance art where I use, I create absurdist devices that, you know, work on the body. I do video work and, and in some installation. And, and I think a theme in a lot of my work is um, I'm interested in exploring human connection and the dynamics of relationships, how we can help and hinder one another and, and how connection can, can propel us forward versus isolation. And, and a concern about the human body and creating glass devices that both can help and hinder it at the same time. So I'm really interested in like sensory amplification, body extensions, and absurdity is a real theme that I use in my work. I create sort of it, 
like pseudoscientific apparatuses that are, are kind of crazy looking. So I do a lot of stuff and that's sort of an overarching theme in some of my, like my personal fine artwork. And as you're doing all this, some of it is independent and some of it you kind of do as a team. Yeah, for the most part, it's pretty independent. I will craft the objects myself in the studio and say for, for the devices, like the instruments, I make them myself and then to activate them, to perform on them, I need other people. So I will use a team of people to, to be part of that with me while we perform. And in my video series that I call Connected Breath, which is a series, um, it's video work where myself and other people are, are coming together with these hot glass bubbles of borosilicate glass, and we blow them together and our, our breaths inter interact and pop a membrane through the bubbles. And it's just sort of an exploration, chance interaction, kind of like a metaphor for a conversation or interaction with people. And that is very much collaborative. I couldn't do it by myself. And I need other people. So that is an aspect of some of my work. Of course, this is, you know, pre-COVID and I'm looking forward to continuing this kind of very close, physical, intimate action, you know, if and when we ever can. And when you have these ideas, how do you go from just a thought in your brain to these physical objects? Yeah, sometimes it can be hard. I will try to draw. I used to be pretty good at drawing and I've honestly lost that skill. You know, I can render an object decent on paper, but sometimes if they're more complicated three-dimensional forms, it's hard for me. So if it's a sort of a, something that interacts with my body, what I'll actually do is I'll get armature wire, like big thick wire and wrap it around wherever it needs to go. Like maybe it goes around my eyes and then connects to my ears. And so I'll actually render the form just sort of like a three-dimensional drawing with wire. And then I can sort of see it in front of me. That's so much easier than, you know, making it out of glass. And then I can make the adjustments as needed. So that's really helpful. And then with some of my objects, my fiance, Ben, is um, good at like 3D rendering. So he has helped me like 3D render them in the past, which is like amazing. So I can see it in the round and print out a picture before I go to the studio. Yeah. So those are the various ways that I, I sort of plan that. And then, and then I get on the torch and I'm like, oh, great. Now, how am I really going to make this? <laughs> and then I do like a day of problem solving or more. <laughs> and are you always bursting with ideas or do you find that you ever feel stuck? And if you do feel stuck, how do you get out of it? Yeah, I, I sometimes burst with ideas and I feel like when I'm in the mode where I'm thinking and I'm ideating and sketching, I'll just have more and more and then more than I could possibly have the time to make. And then I become sometimes overwhelmed. I'm like, oh God, what am I doing? And so I kind of tr try to, in that case, create like a bank um, of ideas that I can put on the back burner for the future. And I, I have like a notes app on my phone where I'll just like type like, oh, here's an idea for a piece. Like, you know, in the middle of the night, if I like wake up, I'm like, oh God, I have to do this someday. Um, so when I, there are, I go through phases when, when I have lots of ideas and I try to take advantage if I can't make them, just put them out there for me to return to if I forget them. 
And then of course there are times where when I'm sort of not in that mindset, when I'm not working on a piece that like some, what I would consider like my personal or my, my like sort of relevant work, which are these objects that I'm sort of discussing or the video work and I'm doing more production, then it's easy for me to get into a like, oh, just like going through the motions, part A, part B mode. And that can be kind of nice sometimes. Like I, I think it's sort of cool to, to balance it. And, and, and I sometimes like being able to zone out and then return to the, to the bigger ideas at hand later on. So when you're feeling stuck, you say you kind of like go into the production mode. Is that kind of what you were getting at? Or do you have any other ways that you get out of it if you're feeling stuck? I think when I'm feeling stuck, sometimes I'll start to feel stuck if I like work all day on something and it's not really coming to fruition or it's more challenging than I thought. And then I'll get discouraged. And that can be like pretty, that can be pretty significant where it's like, what am, what am I doing? Why am I doing this anyway? Like, it's not going to like, you know, this is a, a tool that's going to, you know, make you drink your tears or, you know, connect you to someone else through a, through a trumpet, you know, it's not going to save anyone's life. Um, but it's going to say something that's important to me um, and something that, that I just need to make it. And I'm just usually propelled by this act of making. But if I do get stuck, I'll just try to stop what I'm doing and, and just do something else. And then and just walk away from it for a little bit. And then I can return to it later. Yeah, but there's a lot of different sort of things that I do. And, and you know, like if I'm getting stuck, sometimes I'll just play around on the torch, um, like get a piece of glass get a tube, open it up into a sheet, manipulate it till there's almost nothing there. I'll, you know, shoot some videos on my phone, try to create some footage and just capture parts of the process that make me really excited and try to regain the, the excitement and enthusiasm with fresh eyes. Like, you know, like, like I did when I was a beginner or like how, you know, beginners often do this sort of like, wow, what is this magic? And, and that can help me out. I feel like your your social media presence, you have like very unique voice and video styling. How do you work through the process of creating a video versus creating a product? That's a great question. Yeah, the social media thing I started like really kind of getting into about a year ago and TikTok like reached out to me they found me on Instagram and they're like, oh, will you make educational videos for our creative, creative learning fund? So I kind of, you know, with that format and on the internet platforms like TikTok or Instagram, it's really about like this economy of attention and attention's a premium. So like, how do I make a video that can take someone's attention and like get a, get, try to immediately capture their imagination or their eyes and make them want to keep watching and learning? So my, my videos, I often, I, I think of myself or I try to be an ambassador for, and an ambassador for flame working, uh, flame working is my main process and my sort of tool of choice. And I want to bring that to a larger audience. So social media is great for that. So I often try to create little educational videos, whether it's about, you know, how I make a blank or how, you know, how this thing, how this tool works. We're showcasing a cool process, whether it's something I'm doing or something cool that I, you know, a friend is doing in the studio and I want to capture it. So I try to make them little sort of like bite-sized pieces of information. And, and it's a great exercise for me in being concise 
like, you know, I could go on all day about the things I love and, and, you know, oh, how you flare open a goblet foot. But no, I'm going to try to give it to you in, in 15 seconds. And, and then you can come to like my YouTube to learn more or something. So that's been a great practice for me. It, just figuring out how can I pare down a message or an idea into the most, into the most essential elements of it. And so that's kind of how I create these, these videos, which it's kind of cool because I've gotten lots of, I've got, I've gotten to reach huge audiences on, you know, TikTok and other social media platforms, which is kind of unexpected. And, you know, children, or I don't know who will like message me and be like, how do I start working with glass? And, you know, that's kind of cool to be able to bring it to people who don't um, know about it otherwise. But it's also been a good kind of practice for my own artwork because what I really want my work to do, whether it's my sculpture or production line, my jewelry or video is to um, kind of create an uh, immediate reaction out of someone and whatever that means, whether it's intrigue or disgust or fear or something. So that's kind of been, it kind of goes along with my own work, surprisingly. I was wondering if it's because you kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit when you're creating all this content and posting it out to the world. Is it ever hard to do that with other people maybe putting their judgments on your work onto you? Does that make sense? Oh my God. Yeah. When you like put yourself out there on social media, you open yourself up to so much crap. And you know, on these semi-anonymous platforms, people will always have something to say. And if a video gets millions of views, you're going to have a certain percentage of just, you know, people being like, what is this garbage? And I think that I've become less and less sensitized to it because they're just random people in the void, usually, who are just, you know, trying to have, like, I don't know, entertain themselves. So that's sort of something that comes with if you want to create, I don't know, put, put yourself out there and be visible is you have to be ready for that. And I used to really, it used to affect me a lot more. And I, I would sort of carry some emotional baggage, but now I just (laughs) delete the comments usually, or I'll like leave them and let other people fight my battle for me, which is honestly the best. Can you talk to us about the different ways that you make your income and the process that you have about pricing your work? Sure. So I kind of do a patchwork of things. Many artists do. I am a teacher. I am an adjunct professor at two schools, Tyler School of Art and Salem Community College. And I teach glass working in both of those. So three days a week I teach. And that's a big part of what I love to do and my career. And, you know, I love connecting with students and, and teaching and just being able to share a passion with them. So that's, that is, that's part of it. I do, I do sort of a production line where I'll make uh, jewelry and I have like an Etsy store. Often people will reach out if they see me on online and they'll be like, hey, can you make a blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, sure, I'll do custom orders. I sometimes fabricate for artists, like contemporary artists who don't work with class, but they're like, oh, I have a big installation. Can you help me fabricate this? 
And that, that can keep me busy for a couple months. So it's a lot of different things. And the work that I talk about, that I talked about earlier, and, and the work that I consider like my own voice that really speaks to me and what I find important, that doesn't like pay my bills at, really at all. Like I, and I, and they're often very, what I call impractical objects, like the four person trumpet. That's like huge. It takes up a giant table. It's hard to ship. You're, no one's really going to want it in their house unless they're like really, I don't know, eccentric. And I really try not to let that inhibit what I make in terms of that work, because I just, if I have a vision, I just want to make it and then think about what I'm going to do with it later. And, and often I'll have just like, I have a lot of these pieces scattered around, around my house, but those are the pieces that get into shows and that I think push me forward creatively and push my career forward. So it's kind of funny because it, it's sort of, you know, when you think about your time spent as an artist and time equaling money, when I'm in production mode, I'm like, okay, I've got to whip out a, you know, a wearable in 30 minutes or less, and I'll sell it for this amount. And like, great. Okay. I can figure that out. No problem. And then, you know, I, I start making a new like personal artwork piece and then like time is just out the window. Like I, you know, I could spend days on that and, you know, nothing, nothing financial income wise will ever come, but that's what I need to do. And maybe I'll sell some pieces someday. So it's kind of a balance. Also, that is the work that I put on social media sometimes. And when you get, I don't really know, like when you get a certain, if you can hit a certain amount of virality, you can create income from social media. And I never set out being like, I'm going to be a content producer, but it's something that like, sometimes if you get lucky and a video gets millions of views, you can, you can get some income from that. So that's something where you know, it's just, I'm always in the process of figuring it out and there's not one set formula, but part of it is like, if I can create a, a short video that tells a story while I'm making a piece, then that's great. Like kill two birds with one stone. And it, and it always differs year to, or, or month to month. Like now in the holidays, I'm more in like grind, you know, making gifts and, and filling custom order mode. So it's just always something different. Is it hard to switch from those different mindsets to like being a teacher and then to working on commissions and then being an artist? Yeah, it well, they're very different mindsets. And I can't do I, I can't do more than two or sometimes one in one day. When I'm teaching, it's a very outward kind of action where I'm thinking and processing what's going on verbally. I'm trying to explain it in like words that are easy to chew on for the students. I'm trying to connect with the students and see if they're comfortable, see if they're happy and like and teach some technical foundation. And then also kind of be like, okay, who are you? Like, what do you want to say in class when we get a little further along? once they sort of learn a little of the basics. So it's very much this sort of outward interpersonal sport, as it were. And I don't think about myself at all. Actually, that's why I really love teaching because any problems I have in that moment, any whatever's going on with myself, or if I'm not feeling good, I'd like forget it all. And I'm just in the moment and I'm communicating and connecting. Um, so that's like one action. And then, you know, fabricating or, or doing production, I'm just like, you know, I could be half asleep and I just put on an audiobook or some music. I'm like, I'm just going to go through the motions and it's kind of fun. And then, you know, sculpting, that's a very different mindset. Like I can't really 
talk to people. I get very much in my own head. And if, if other people are around, I'll kind of, I'll get very distracted very easily. Often I'm doing weird things when I'm making that kind of artwork, like blowing into glass tubes, making like really annoying, obnoxious sounds or like putting like pieces of glass over my face and like seeing like, oh, how's this look? You know, things that are like kind of like awkward to be around other people, but I, I do that anyway. So they're very different modes. And I kind of decide like in the morning or I usually plan ahead, like, okay, today I'm going to teach and that's it. Or I can teach and fabricate. Today I'm going to do like, try to make my work and ideate and nothing else. And I, I can't really, I don't really easily like to switch from one to another. I can so see that. (laughs) What would you consider to be your own personal definition of success? And do you feel like you've reached that? Oh, that's such a cool question. No, no, never reached success ever. (laughs) Never satisfied. You know, you can have like a working definition of, okay, things are going all right. But something like I deal with is never like feeling like satisfied or, yeah. And I think that that is a lot of people deal with that. A lot of artists and it helps um, avoid complacency and wanting to push forward. So no, I've never reached it, but I think it's a continual process of becoming, I would like, you know, on a really practical level, I, my goal is to, to use flame working in a contemporary art context and to broaden awareness of it to the world. And that can mean a lot of different things, but, you know, when it gets down to it, I think success is being able to find a balance in your life between work and connection with people and, and being part of a community and and interacting with people and touching people's lives in a positive way. And that's really always been my goal. And, and I get, and I'm, I'm actually feeling like I'm getting there or I'm experiencing that now, but it's just something you always have to do. And you always have to work towards because for me, at least, and you know, for a lot of people, I think like when you're making, it's very um, solitary and flame working, super solitary. So, you know, if I, part of me would just want to stay in the studio and work all day, but like, you, you can't do that. I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be fulfilled if that was all I did. So I need to connect with other people at the same time. And that's what makes me feel fulfilled. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't ask you or anything that you wanted to end on? Yeah, sure. Well, one thing that I do want to mention is speaking of connection, you know, a project that I have going on that's sort of recent is I'm working with my my friend and colleague, Amy LaMare, and um, with Geeks, the Glass Education Exchange. And this year we've created um, the Flameworking Affinity Group. So this, you know, our goal is to be open and accessible for everyone in flameworking who's interested or uses flameworking. And we're creating, you know, new language and dialogues where we can all be a part because flameworking, it, it has so many different subsets and subcategories and while we're all connected, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. So we're creating an inclusive group where we're doing meetings where people can join and we have a variety of topics, whether it's educational resources or like the changing landscape of the art form and creating inclusive language where we can all feel welcome. And so that's something, you know, I'm thinking about connection and how technology moves us forward. You know, even right now, like how we're connecting through technology 
And it's sort of an amazing thing. And I, and I do think that te technology is changing how we, how we communicate and act together. And we really can fight these sort of the problems we have where we're all feeling disjointed and disconnected through dialogue. So that's something that's really exciting and, and kind of goes along um, the lines of, of what's really passionate to me. And so if anyone listens to this is, is interested in flame working at all, please join us. You're welcome to. It's G-E-E-X, Geeks. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the questions that was sort of asked or was prompted earlier is like, do you have advice for people? And I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I do. I think for, for me, some, one of the life lessons I've learned is, you know, I, I have experience with chronic pain and I've had that for a really long time and it's limited what I've been able to do and it, and it affects me every day. And, and while that's really given me periods of isolation and, you know, inner turmoil, what I've learned from that is when you have a difficulty or you have pain, mental, physical, or otherwise, you just have to just actively search out beauty and joy and, and what makes you happy. And it, it's really sort of made me sort of cut through all like the, you know, the BS um, and not really worry about the little things, but rather like just focus on what, what I love. And so it, it has, a you know, discomfort has a clarifying power where you can, you know, actively work against it and just try to find like your life raft and pull yourself out from over it. And then it's sort of a muscle when you practice that um, it's, you know, joy can be all around you. You just have to look for it. And I find that joy in working, in, in working with a medium that I love. And I find it in connecting with other people and, and sort of a common understanding. So that's really like the, the sort of thing that, I think is like the, the idea that's helped me change my life around. And if I had advice for people, if it could be applicable for anyone, I would love to impart that is, you know, I think beauty is trying to turn pain into joy or whatever, you know, in any way you can find it. And, and, and that obstacles can be freeing if you, if you try to look at it the right way. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 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 So many people suffer from chronic pain and it's really great to just like not say, just push through it, <laughs> you know, like acknowledge it and then figure out how to live with it in some way. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you, you have to respect your body. You have to respect your, your, your mind and your brain and whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, pain, you, you, you can't fight, fight it. I mean, you can try your best and I know I have, but just trying to work with it and maybe, maybe your work can, can be a healing power or a power to help reconcile something. It can, can be really great. And, and I, I also, am just like, try not to take for granted for me. I'm like, don't forget Madeline that like, you're so lucky you found the thing you love. And I'm like really passionate about it. And it can be so easy to like forget from in the moment, like, oh, damn, I just broke a piece. Like, why am I doing this? But just, you know, so not, not a lot of people, not everyone has found their passion um, and found their calling. And, and I think that myself and, and, you know, many people who work with class, like, damn, we are lucky. We are. Mm -hmm. 
and privilege. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you. Yeah, totally. <sighs> Thank you. I love the I love the premise for this podcast. I think it's so cool that you guys are opening discussions like this. And I just want to say thank you. It's, it's really cool. And I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of connected in glass. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more information on the artists we interview and for updates on the podcast.